People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to another episode of Kidney Talk. Uh, Stephen's on location again, but uh, we're moving forward and we have a great guest today. His name is Jim Warren and he's the editor and publisher of Transplant News. Um, he founded this newsletter in August of 1990. And I've known Jim for uh, several years, and he is an expert on a lot of the transplant issues. So uh, welcome to the show, Jim. Well, it's very nice to be here with you, Lori. What, what, what do we want to talk about? Well, I, you know, first of all, I want to hear a little bit about your background. Um, tell our listeners a little bit how you got started in the community. Well, I became the, uh, the PR director of the National Kidney Foundation in January of 1976. The organization was just about five years old, and it had about four PR directors. And They got a new director who I had worked for in a different organization, and I was living on the West Coast in San Francisco and available, and he got me to come back. And um, I started in January of that year, and I was there for almost 11 years. Well, you probably saw so many advancements in transplantations if uh, you began in the 70s reporting on it. Well, they were doing 2,000 living transplants and some corneas at that time. Very, very, very few deceased donors. There was no cyclosporin, which there was no United Network for Organ Sharing, which, of course, came after the fact. Uh, it was just a, a, an organization where its major educational program was the donor program, the organ donor program, but the major focus of all the other programs was dialysis because the great majority of the people were all dialysis patients. And so there was no government doing anything in terms of public education in uh, organ donation, and we just took it over and did it. And, and uh, it was just one of the high-energy jobs that I've ever had in my life. It was, I had a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, you saw a need and fulfilled it, obviously, because <laughs> transplantation, I mean, now, you know, over 100,000 people are on the list. And back then, you know, I had a transplant in 1979, and it was about a little about two years after I started dialysis. So the list, there wasn't that many people waiting because it wasn't that acceptable of practice. So you've come a long way, haven't we? Well, they, you know, when I started, one of the things that they called transplantation was the, uh, the space program of medicine. And it certainly has proved to, to be just that, and it's... Uh, it's proving it even more when you start reflecting on areas where the where the field is heading, such as stem cells and and and, and tissue engineering. Um, you know, someday they will. I I would predict that someday the they'll look back and it could be 15 years from now or 20 years from now, and they'll say, "Do you realize that in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000 that people actually donated organs, were asked to get, donate organs, and they gave them. Because I think that I think that's eventually where it will go. I don't believe I will live to see it, but perhaps you will. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting to see how just the medications and eventually, hopefully, they'll be able to trick the immune system to allowing, you know, your body will just accept the kidney. That would be absolutely phenomenal. 
<laughs> You're absolutely right. It's a fascinating field. The holy grail, right, of transplantation. Well, you know, I went a little, you, you started this uh, newsletter called transplantnews.com. It's trannews.com, and it's a paid membership. And, you know, when I read your newsletters, you really have some in-depth reporting on what's going on in transplantation. So I know some of the hot issues right now are, um, you know, you hear all about, you know, Steve Jobs has got this liver transplant and Natalie Cole. Um, what are your thoughts on organ donation allocation? Well, the high-profile cases have, have always gotten um, and always will get um, some scrutiny because there's such a long waiting list. And there, I think, is a feeling among some people always that if you have money or that if you have fame, that in this country you are able to, to jump the list. And to be honest with you, that is not the case. That was not the case with Steve Jobs. He was well within the rules of what many people do who aren't Steve Jobs. And they go to get a, a, get a liver or if they're going to get a kidney transplant or whatnot. It does help, obviously, to be in a good medical setting with good doctors and people who are savvy about the system. But um, at this particular point, it's perception that is triumphs over reality when you actually get involved in that. Uh, there were, you know, there have been some very high-profile cases in the past, and, and one of the things that actually started, if, if you wanted to go jump way back to 1984, 85, when you had the, the perfect storm for setting up the system, uh, you had you had Charlie Fisk who was looking for a liver for his for his daughter, and actually Ronald Reagan made a plea on the air to find a liver for his daughter. And he was widely criticized, but he was trying to save the life of his daughter, and it actually worked. But that was one of the things that led to having to set up a system that they realized that it couldn't be the cowboys out there or the person with the widest, loudest voice or the smartest media or even money to buy media access, that there had to be a system that would be as fair as they could make it. The second, of course, was the advent of cyclosporin, which all of a sudden meant that instead of doing some kidneys, uh, you could do kidneys, livers, heart transplants, and it broadened the whole field. So uh, I think that's just something that will be with us as long as there's a donor shortage. And, and it just, as long as there's no blatant, really, scandal, and there hasn't been, um, at least in that area, uh, it's just going to be human nature to have responses like that. Well, and I also heard Natalie Cole uh, received her transplant because she had an episode on Larry King and when somebody passed away, the family said, we want the organs to go to Natalie. So they actually called out the name or specified the donation. So, yeah, I was, that's what I was explaining to somebody. I'm like, you know, she didn't jump the list, actually. She brought a lot of awareness to the need for transplantation. And as a result, when you share your story, sometimes somebody says, you know what, I'll give you a kidney or, you know, designates a kidney for you. True, and again, that goes back into... I mean, I, to be honest with you, if I was waiting and I was having a hard time or the wait had gone on a long time and I would see that, I, I can't say that I'd feel great about it. But as long as there's going to be 100,000 people waiting and you've got 20,000 donor, donor organs, I mean, it's, it's just not, I mean, you, you can do the numbers. It's just not fair because the numbers aren't fair. Well, and I received a call yesterday from um, a friend of a person who has um, kidney failure and on dialysis 
And they were like, what do you do? And uh, I said, well, you know, maybe you could get him a kidney, you know, because they go, well, how do you ask? And that was kind of an interesting question, you know. How do you ask somebody for a transplant? Well, you do. There are a couple couple things that you do, and it, it and, and people do do it. But one thing is that it's life and death. So you, you do, as a family, need to be aggressive. And the first place you turn, obviously, is to be aggressive with your own family members. Now, there will be people that will say that family members who are the donors uh, uh, are not the most voluntary of donors. As a matter of fact, they're the ones who very often have the greatest conflicts because, they, I mean, who knows, they could mother and dad or son and daughter or son and father have been having problems all these and then all of a sudden or it could be two brothers and there becomes some sort of a, a, a dispute among that and it's very difficult how do you say no and and it, it the people say that a stranger donor or somebody you don't know is, it may be well better than in, in a more general way than it is to ask a relative um, the least amount at least of, of psychological coerciveness um, there is. I, we were talking a bit about a program that's new that is being administered by the American Society of Transplant Surgeons. It's called the National Living Donor Center, NALDAC. And, and what it does is it has got government funding, and it has a formula for providing expenses, travel expenses, food expenses, uh, hotel expenses, for people who are under the poverty line and uh, who want to donate or are being asked to donate and economically would not be able to do it unless they had that support. And it's been running for about two years now out of, uh, out of the AST offices, ASTS offices in, in Washington. And it's been very successful in getting, they've gotten almost 200 transplants that might not have happened from living donors that, within the, uh, that, that were able to do it, and not just necessarily relatives, it could be to, to somebody else, but... Um, and uh, it shows that there are people out there that if they can have their needs met, that it can be um, something that can actually lead to successful and, and a couple hundred transplants that might not have been there otherwise. Well, and it would make sense because it would end up saving the government money because they don't have to pay for the cost of dialysis. So it, it, that's, that's, that you, you're absolutely right on the mark on that. And it's it transplant. You know, we, you and I had discussed briefly about the impact of of the national health insurance and then the and changes here and what impact it might have on transplantation. And you can't you can't guess. I mean, but who knows? Because they're right now trying to get the uh, immunosuppressive drug act extended from 36 months to 48 months, and they're looking for tax incentives for living donor a living donor tax credit. A living donor leave leave act of uh, they've all been introduced in some form in Congress and they're sort of bumping their way through they're they're not they're not uh, high priority with of course if they're going to be national health insurance the, the, but the thing that all of them have in common is that they do actually save money so that it's fair to say that as the system develops transplantation. It certainly should be in an area where it will not be penalized and may well be one of the programs that will be looked at as a cost-saving measure and something that, is, that the system is set up to do by getting people transplanted and off dialysis. And there was, let me just read one little estimate. It was by a, 
the, the immediate past president of, of the American Society of Transplant Surgeons, who was, had written a commentary about giving money uh, for to health insurance to all life donors and making it automatic and life insurance. And he said, it has been estimated that each living donor kidney decreases overall health care by $94,579 in 2002 dollars or about $126,000 in 2009 dollars accounting for medical inflation. And basically that means that you're, you're transplanting somebody who would be on dialysis and it's been taken off the roll. So it, it, there are some pretty strong arguments on this. Now, his argument goes on to say that by giving the, the health insurance and the life insurance, it more than pays for itself by getting people to donate. And it's the right thing to do for a lot of Want something to do for your country and help with the financial impact donate a kidney? Is that the message? I mean, it isn't like saying, let's get a whole lot more on dialysis. No, I know. I, I was on dialysis for 12 years, and so... Uh, this is my third transplant, and, uh, you know, luckily I received the gift of life, and it should be there for everybody, but there's just not enough need to go around. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the bills to back up, you know, how they save money, like the comprehensive immunosuppressant drug bill. If they pay for the medication, again, they prevent people from going back on dialysis, so it helps with that cost. I mean, I think it's what fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars a year for medication, and like sixty thousand dollars a year for dialysis. So, those are rough estimates, but you know, you can do the math on that one. And it also, they, it also doesn't automatically say that you're going to be taken off your meds and you won't get private insurance. I mean, there's there is that, and so it doesn't automatically say that once your three years run out, uh, it. Um, that you're automatically going to have to go back on dialysis, so I'm sure that does happen some. That's an argument that's been made from the very beginning in terms of trying to get unlimited coverage, and it just does not make any sense to stop it at 36 or 48 months. It doesn't make any economic sense at all. Well, and I've actually witnessed some of the, you know, we throw a prom every year for all the teenagers with kidney disease, and I, you know, that population is particularly vulnerable because they don't, you know, they're not skilled enough to afford their illness. So you get a transplant at 17, 20, 21, you're off the books, basically. And who has, you know, adequate insurance to be able to cover all the needs at 21? So, you know, the younger agent, when I was on the um, Hill advocating for immunosuppressant drug bills, and I didn't know if it could happen, but I'm at least grandfather some of these, or not grandfather, extend the age if you have to phase it in to at least have the younger people have a chance because we're setting them up for failure, you know, because they just don't have any uh, options. I mean, you you don't get a great paying job at 21 years old with a wonderful insurance plan. You need to be focusing on going to school and, you know, establishing your life. The next thing is tax incentives, which I think is interesting because this would be a way to help people, you know, basically get an incentive the following year by not paying a certain amount of income tax, is that correct? That's right, that's right. Um, it's, it's one of, uh, uh, of a couple of lesser bills. Uh, I don't mean to down... Yeah, it's not on the... It's, there's not a companion bill in the Senate, so. That's right, yeah. There's, it, 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 you've got champions sort of here and there. When you, take, when you actually look at what goes on with legislation in, in this area, um, it, it, it's, it's a small-ticket item. But within the community, it's a large ticket. So when you compare it to some of the other 
national programs, um, uh, a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars sometimes can be pretty big. Right. And um, in other areas of medicine, that would be considered petty cash. So, it's it is something where there are people working. Uh, my own sense of it is, and it's strictly my own belief, is that that transplantation is is the, indeed medicine of the future in many ways, and it will be the precursor to stem cell and tissue engineering as we've talked about. But also, it it is something where if there is a national health insurance program that does get put into place, and I'm hopeful that this will happen, um, that it will not be left behind, that it will then be in, and some of these issues will be put in because they're, they're cost-effective majors, and they're going to need these things that they can point to. They're not going to take these things away. Well, one of the things, and we didn't really discuss this ahead of time, but um, I'm sure you can speak um, to it, is the whole organ allocation system of opting in or opting out. Like in other countries, they have basically if you don't opt out, you're automatically considered a donor. Um, do you think the America will, the U.S. will ever adopt that policy? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question because that comes down to to what people actually want to believe, and it doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily um, based upon anything that's ever been tested, or it, it's, it's what certain professionals have on one side or on the other. Um, my own feeling about it is that if the system were one of opt-out versus having to opt-in, it would be fine. It would all depend upon how you roll it out. And it um, has worked very well in countries like Spain, and it is not a major issue because it's not forcing anybody to do anything. It just changes the decision that you have to make. Right. I think, I think in the long run, I think that would increase the number of people who would donate. I, I just believe that, and I do think there's something generational about it that if you go and talk to some of the younger people, um, they would have less of a problem with it. They just have to trust the system. Right. They have to believe that if they go to the emergency room, they'll be saved. <laughs> the fear is that you're going to want my kidney or my something more than you're going to want to keep me alive. No. Don't, I don't believe there's ever been any evidence of that. It is, but it is an emotional issue, and it is cuts close to the bone. Well, you know, uh, that question has been brought up to me before. And I always say, you know, they're not that organized <laughs> in the healthcare system, like for one segment to know <laughs> the need in another segment. And I said, the emergency room doctors aren't the ones who are doing the organ transplants. And, you know, they're kind of surprised. But if you, you know, uh, watch television, you know, the ER doctor is doing the transplant and everything else. So it is perception. Well, and, and it, there are numbers of ways where that where that happens. Um, I mean, if you look at donation after cardiac death, for example, well, before the brain death laws were in, that's the way they did it. And it is perfectly legal. It is a perfectly viable way of, of getting more organs. But the way that it gets explained, and there are some procedures that take place, it gets in the way of what is really just a normal procedure in terms of doing donation. There are countries in Europe that have absolutely no problem whatsoever in doing that and um, we, we, we tend to be we, if we err on the side of anything we err on the side of, of being so honest we want to get everything out all the time and I, I honestly believe in some cases people look at it and say well they're being so careful and saying so much about it there must be something wrong with it they're trying to pull, pull the wool over our eyes um, 
I, I, it, it just, it, that's the way this country works. That's the way the media works. We've got 24-7 uh, now with television and radio where you, everything is out there all the time. And so it, it can be unnerving, I think, and um, it, it can confuse people. But it, if you're the person who has a loved one who's going to die or if you have to make a decision about donating if it's a cardiac death, uh, that's where it, it, it does a disservice because there's a life that can be saved that, that, that doesn't have to die because there was a perfectly good donor out there. So what do you think the future holds for transplantation to wrap up this show? Well, I, th- I, think, I, I think that what you're going to find initially is um, you're going to find some sort of one of the breakthroughs, in, 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 I think, in stem cell. I don't know what it's going to be. The, the, the initial feeling was that it was going to be islet cell. That has not progressed as they had hoped, and, and that's sad because the islet cell and dealing with diabetes was, would have seemed like a dream match, and it could have had an enormous impact. Now I think that they're not so sure that, that, where that is. But what I always say in terms of people asking about the future, and we've talked about stem cells and tissue engineering and a whole bunch of things, anything artificial. The, the, the heart people, for example, the American Heart Association doesn't promote organ donation. It never has. And if you ask them why, they always say it's because we don't believe that they do enough of them and there's going to be a mechanical heart. And I've interviewed Michael DeBakey, who said the same thing. Someday you'll be able to have a mechanical heart. You'll be able to pick it out of a hardware store catalog. <laughs> you want a certain size and how big are your veins and do you want it to be pink or blue? And it will work as a pump, and that's what the heart is, it's a pump. Now, the kidneys are totally different. Right, they're the master chemists. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I, I think that, that you're going to see a breakthrough there in some fashion that, that they will build on. And what I was started to say is that it, you know, we go back to my starting in 76. Uh, there was no cyclosporin. There was obviously research being done. And in 1984, you have cyclosporin in 1986. You have the OPTN gets formed. There's national legislation. Congressman Gore holds hearings. And it happened within a four-year period of time. And the OPTM is the Organ Procurement Transplant Network, right? That's right. And that came out of, that formed the United Network for Organ Sharing. And they had, you know, they had bidding for that contract, and the RAND Corporation bid for it. And some other people wanted it, and they gave it to what was the old Southeastern Organ Procurement Foundation. CEOF, it was called, because they were the only group in the country. They had a computer system <laughs> at that time where they could link up to Southern hospitals. And they had the, you know, it's pretty controversial stuff because they, they had a payback system. So if I got you a kidney from Memphis to Birmingham, then you owe me one, buddy. And that system went on for a long, long time. My point is that it happened fast. And I, I as a journalist and as a perhaps a, you know, much too optimistic about this, I think that that has the possibility, certainly in tissue engineering stem cell, where something could happen that would, would lead to almost a, a, an accordion effect where you had a ripple effect and it would impact other areas of transplantation. I, I just see too much stuff going on, too much money being poured in for that not to believe that that's where it's going to be. And someday they're going to just be able to grow you any organ you want, right? Exactly. Well, um, thank you so much, Jim. Um, can you give everybody your website if they want to get in contact with you? And uh... Correct. One thing, that the newsletter is called Transplant News. Transplant News, okay. Did it in 1990. Okay. I borrowed some money against the health insurance policy that I had, <laughs> and I started it. And uh, it is a, it's, it's a print newsletter that comes out monthly, and then there's a Transplant E-News Weekly. 
Okay. That is, uh, I have a writer who, who compiles that so that it's a, it's a big clipping service. So every Wednesday, uh, 45 times a year, that comes out. And then I write a, a monthly. It used to be bi-monthly, or twice a month. And, and I've been doing it for, for a long, long, long time. And um, I can plan to continue it. Now, I, you know, in terms of pricing, it is my business. And so I supplement it with webinars and audio conferences, and I've done some videos and stuff, but, but it is not a free publication. Um, however, that said, I'm, I'm working on getting a pricing structure that um, is a little bit more palatable if I, can, if I can structure it in layers. And also, if you've got people that are listening today uh, and you want to see it or get it or you think it's something you could use, then I would urge you to contact your local OPO or hospital transplant administrator and uh, and see about it because uh, I've got a lot of uh, I've got I've held I, I'm a newsletter that's still publishing let's put it that way and a lot of them aren't because of the internet so um, and it's a money back guarantee. Well, you know it's uh, it's very informative if you you know want to learn what's on the cutting edge of transplantation and what's going on in all uh, populations, which is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, I thank you for uh, sharing all of this information because uh, there's a lot of hope when it comes to the future of transplantation. And thank you very much for being our guest. I've enjoyed it a lot. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 